Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. What's good, y'all, and welcome to In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined here once again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzy Weber. Schwebzy, how are we doing this week, buddy? Hi, friends. I am so tired, Jordan. What, and why and is that, Schwebs? Why is that? Who's, who's, whose fault is that? Huh? Well, I, I, we're getting there, but okay. uh, it's, it's daylight. The sun's out, and we are we're recording, which is a rarity. Maybe that has maybe only happened one or two other times in the history of in the deep. True, and yet, yes. and yet, I'm exhausted. And, yet. and why is that? Because true? because it is the day after Diablo Four dropped, and I'm starting to think that the reason I'm tired all the time is is maybe maybe it's my own fault. Maybe just maybe. <laughs> Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, gamers rise up. Yes, it, Diablo 4 just dropped. I know that uh, Nick Pollock, after he gets back from his trip there, uh, Nick's in, I believe, Asheville, North Carolina. Kind of in, not really in your neck of the woods per se, but in the same state. He's, he, he's five, hour, five hours away. I was going to, I was actually going to go pop over and uh, meet, meet, uh, meet up with Nick and Jason Collette and some pitcherless community members but uh it's uh, the the meetup is going to be like a sunday afternoon and it's just ah. can't can't drive eight to ten hours just to to hang out on a sunday evening i don't know what you're talking about that's just a that's a light jaunt <laughs> across this across the entire state of north carolina just to see nick uh no i got i got i got the got this whole work thing the next morning lame anyways uh yeah that i mean i i really wish oh no one second there we go. Sirens were going past. I think that I think that I think that was the fashion police coming to get you. Man, shut up. Folks uh, at home, Jordan Jordan is Jordan is wearing a beanie and no and shirt nothing right else. now. I mean He he may or may not be wearing pants, cannot <laughs> confirm. Shwebsy can only see me from the shoulders up. He doesn't know what's going on downstairs right now. No, I I have a, it's 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 funny. It's very warm out. Not like very warm. It's like seventy five degrees, which is warmer than it has been here in Milwaukee, but I'm wearing a beanie. I don't know why. That was my choice. Oh, also, something else I wanted to say at the top of the show, which is also very important. One, happy Pride Month to all my fellow queer folks in the fantasy baseball space. Uh, I love you all. Um, shout out especially to Justin Havlock and his excellent idea that he had on a Nicholas Peter Pollock stream one day to do a Pride Month shirt, uh, which you can find uh, in the Pitcherless store and all proceeds. We'll be going to the human rights campaign for that. So if you want to check that out, feel free. It's a beautiful shirt. It says baseball. And then the all at the end is in Pride Month colors, the rainbow flag. So check that out for sure. Um, but yeah, other than that, Shrubsy, let's hop into some deep dives. 
Uh, and let's start with Ben Lively. I, I, I never would have guessed in a million years that I would ever even think of Ben Lively this year, let alone do a deep dive on Ben Lively. But he's one of the more interesting stories in baseball this year uh, against all odds. And I, in, in spite of what he's done and the unique story that is behind him, like no one seems to be talking about him really. So way, way back in 2017, uh, Ben Lively's rookie year, he threw 88 innings for the Phillies to kind of boring, mediocre results. And then from that point forward, he only threw 31 more innings in the majors before ending up in Korea pitching in the KBO for a couple of years. And in the KBO, he was also kind of uninspiring. This was not one of those mediocre MLB player goes to another country and dominates situations. He was just as meh in the KBO as he was in the MLB. And after his thoroughly whelming tenure in Korea, Lively came back stateside in 2022, where he was pretty mediocre in the minors. And then this year in the minors, he threw 27 innings before his promotion to the big leagues. Before, uh, <laughs> I, I, it feels like a spontaneous breakout. I really, I'm, I'm like so thrown off by what he's done so far. But, uh, Choosing Lively for a deep dive leaves me in kind of treacherous waters because Lively's major league track record before this year is basically useless as far as uh, analyzing him. And even his recent minor league numbers make me scratch my head because like, so a, a few weeks ago, he was a triple A veteran striking out five batters per nine with like a 5.7 XFIP. If you asked me if that type of player interested me, it would take me about half a second to tell you absolutely not. Why are you trying to sell me on late career Jamie Moyer? Like, no one cares about that sort of player. And yeah. But like, given the incredible lack of fanfare surrounding both his call up and his early season success, I'm not even sure that the Reds expected him to be good. But. We're like we're five games and three starts into his season, and Lively has been kind of incredible. I, I wasn't really sure how I wanted to approach this deep dive because Lively is such a unique success story. Because, like, you know, prospects have scouting reports. Um, you know, sometimes there's a guy like Merrill Kelly who dominates in the KBO and then he gets signed to be a starter. That wasn't Ben Lively either. And like Lively wasn't slaying it in the minors prior to his call up. So like there's just like nothing that I would usually go on to try to figure out like if I like this guy or not. But uh, what we're going to do. Uh, what we're going to do is kind of just do a little bit of a, a an analysis on his repertoire and what his pitches have been doing this year to try to figure out if we if I you know if, if I like him or not. Uh, and. I, I'm invested in this now since I, I, I need to convince myself that he's good because I won him in TGFBI this week and now, now I'm invested in his success. And also, I'm sorry in advance to Jordan because if if Lively does shove this weekend, it's going to be against the Brewers. Who Boo. this year? Yeah, I know. This year, the uh, the Brewers are not the most intimidating of offenses. 
as a team, they have a 93 WRC plus against righties and a pretty anemic 81 WRC plus against righties since the calendar turned to May. So uh, before I even get into any of this analysis about Ben Lively, yes, I would absolutely stream him for his coming start on, I believe it's Sunday. All right. So why has Lively been thriving? Stop me if you've heard this before about one of our deep dives, but Lively is going to live and die by his slider. And the really good news is that, oh man, has the slider been good. It's just straight up been incredible. He's thrown 91 sliders this year and has allowed one hit. One hit on 91 pitches. One single hit. Right? Before his last start, he had gone four whole appearances without allowing one. And then he finally allowed one hit on a slider in his last start. He's also got 11 Ks on the slider. And I think, Jordan, correct me if I'm wrong. I think if you get 11 times as many strikeouts on a pitch as hits allowed, it's probably a pretty good pitch, right? I would say it's pretty decent. Yeah, at least the results are. Right. And obviously this is not going to hold up. But even if the pitch regresses to where the expected stats say it should be, it's still going to be a pretty good pitch. It's getting a 50% whiff rate right now, which isn't like, you know, best in the league uh, quality, but it's still a really good whiff rate. In two of his three starts this year, his slider has been over 50% for CSW, which is stupid. The risk here is that and I, I realize this is a little contradictory. His slider doesn't actually look like that filthy of a pitch. He doesn't throw it that hard. It doesn't get a ton of movement. It just kind of looks like a, a pretty standard slider, like nothing really special about it. The impressive thing about it is the location. And that's both impressive and scary for different reasons. So Lively is 93rd percentile in all of baseball at locating his slider outside. He throws his slider outside more than all but 7% of pitchers. And that speaks to not just his control of the pitch, but his approach. And I think the approach is where things get interesting with him. Against righties, Lively is a three-pitch pitcher. He throws six pitches. But against righties, he only uses three of them pretty much. He throws 40% sliders, 29% sinkers, and 25% four-seamers. That 40% sliders is important because, as we said before, that is his, his best characteristic as a pitcher is that really good slider. So it's good that he's throwing them 40% of the time in in the correct matchups. He also throws a change, a curve, and a cutter, but against righties, that's he, he almost never throws those. Against lefties, on the other hand, he throws almost 40% four-seamers, and then he throws four other pitches between 12 and 18% of the time. He, he goes from, like, I want to say, like, he goes from, like, Justin Steele to, like, Kyle Gibson when, he's, when he goes from facing a righty to a lefty. His pitching style just completely changes. Uh... He he's like like Justin Steele throws his slider less frequently against righties. He he's a lefty, 
but he still throws his slider 30% of the time because he's a steel is a two pitch pitcher. Whereas lively pitches like a two or three pitch pitcher against righties, but then just completely changes when he's going against opposite hand hitters. It's a really dramatic difference, especially when his slider is like the, the again, the carrying feature. And this gets back to the location stat that I was talking about earlier. Since Lively doesn't really throw his slider to lefties, that, that's why that percentile number is so high. That's why he throws it outside basically all the time, because he's only throwing it to righties. So he's always throwing it like glove side and outside to righties. Uh, so I, I think I, I want to say that the reason his slider has been so successful is almost because he's throwing it mostly to righties. So he's able to just visualize and execute basically the same pitch over and over again. Like if you look at his pitch chart, he is just pretty much throwing his slider to the, to the same spot all the time. Yeah. Like I'm looking at his heat map right now for the slider. Uh, and the location on it, like the, the, the darkest red part of that heat map is literally just off the edge in like to, uh, towards the side of the uh, towards the first base side of the box uh, and towards the left handed batter's box. Um, it's it's perfect. Like it's yeah, like it's, ideal location. Like I don't think exactly I would what you it want anywhere else. Right. So. A pitcher like this, I worry that they would have a platoon split, but I, I, th- I think the wildly different approaches actually mitigates some of that. Mm-hmm. He has been worse versus lefties, which makes sense because he doesn't really use his best pitch, but it's a tolerable kind of worse. Like he's not getting absolutely blown up. The rest of his repertoire outside of the slider is more fine than impressive. And uh, th- the good news is that he's getting average to above average results on both his four-seamer and his sinker, and his changeup is plenty capable of getting strikes against lefties. Across his repertoire, he's got four pitches that get a 318 ex-woba or lower. It's mostly significantly lower. And those four pitches account for 88% of the pitches that he throws, and that, that will play. I, I like what he's doing right now in general, and he's absolutely on a, a killer run, but there is some risk here. Firstly, of course, the ballpark. He pitches for the Cincinnati Reds, and you cannot talk about a Cincinnati pitcher without mentioning the Great American Small Park. And secondly, I mentioned that his slider has gotten incredible results, but it's not that great of a pitch just looking at the stuff. So the concern is that he's a cherry bomb. Because if he doesn't have his slider location working, he'll likely be in for some really rough starts because it's really his only strong weapon against righties. If he loses that slider location for a stretch, he could turn into waiver wire fodder pretty quickly. Unless, you know, unless he can turn into more of a junk baller against righties also. That like no matter how good he looks right now, I think he is going to keep living and dying by that slider unless, you know, he's still got something in his bag of tricks that he hasn't shown us yet. Overall, I'm in. I'm in for now. Like I said, I've already added him in TGFBI, which is a, a, a league that I'm trying very hard in this year. <laughs> uh, still third place, baby. I am in 
second or something like that at this point. I dropped off. Anyway, sorry. Not to make it about me. What's it, what's it like down there, Jordan? Cold. <laughs> sorry, folks. Uh, for for those who have not been longtime listeners, so TGFBI is a is a an expert league with like four hundred thirty participants, and the last two years I've been like four hundredth place, like really really bad. <laughs> so I, I'm just I'm just on cloud nine because I'm actually doing well in this league this year because it was so frustrating for me that this was the one league that I did so poorly in. Yeah, to be clear, but, this is this is the quote by quote unquote expert league, and I say quote unquote because they let Schwabzi and I do it. Um, <laughs> but we're both doing pretty well right now, honestly. All, all told, um, I've run into a cold stretch with my pitching, and also my batting average just continues to drop like a rock. But yeah, first and second or bust. If we did that, I think we would time still to retire. The, I think we would still get the exact same number of listeners we currently do. Yep. <laughs> I I I, w- I want to get a poll going for our listeners. Do you actually care how we perform in our leagues? And no one will respond to that poll, which just kind of proves the point. Um, but anyway, uh, like I said, I'm I'm in on Ben Lively. We have seen many many pitchers over the years have hot location stretches that kind of carried them through long stretches of the calendar. Like just for example second half Brady Singer last year or Martin Perez kind of all year last year strikeout upside is not super common on deep league waiver wires and that is something that Ben Lively brings to the table so I really like his potential uh, from that angle and as I said earlier his next start is against the Brew Crew who offensively have been more like the Boo Hoo Crew lately so at the very least, go out and grab him as a streamer. I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to take that bait. Yes, the Brewers have been pretty abysmal offensively lately, except for Owen Miller, who has been exceptional and continued to be exceptional. And I'm very glad that I ended up talking about him. Yeah. But you, you know what? When he faces Ben Lively, he's going to be Owen 4 Miller. No, Ben Lively is going to be... <laughs> was lively <laughs> i don't know or ben deadly oh grim grim is that grim i don't know anyways okay i'm gonna go into my deep dive right after this ad break when it comes to weight management we tend to put our focus on what we eat but noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat and that's a game changer noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back. So for my deep dive, I decided to talk about someone who I think Shrubs and I are both fairly surprised 
is still so heavily under rostered. We say it every week. And considering like just what I mean, his batting average is very it's not like he's someone that people don't know about it. And his batting average has been excellent so far. He plays half his games in Coors and that's Randall Grichuk. Um, He didn't make his debut until April 29th this year due to a hernia surgery. So you have to kind of keep in mind this is basically like his May like second essentially for his season. So he has a lot less in terms of sample size and actual like um, meaningful at bats in terms of what his season looks like. But so far he's been making a really huge impact in that Rockies lineup since he rejoined the team. So he sits safely in 20 of 25 games he's appeared in so far. 11 of those were multi-hit performances. Like that's obviously awesome. Um, And that's led to an exceptional 351 average to start the season. Like, obviously, that's probably not going to maintain. He's not going to be a 350 hitter. He has never been a 350 hitter. But it's really, really encouraging. Um, I think the biggest thing that's probably holding people back from actually adding Grichik to their rosters is just the lack of counting stats, particularly the home runs and RBI, which have been kind of what his calling card were. Like, he was a guy who struck out a decent amount and then would hit the ball really, really hard. and that was kind of his whole thing is getting home runs and RBIs. Uh, so he's become much less sexy as a fantasy option uh, compared to other options out there. That said, though, I think that Grichik has a lot going on in terms of his underlying data that leads me to be at least a little bit more encouraged about his power outlook moving forward. I think there's reason for encouragement. Um, his quality of contact so far this season is some of the best we've seen in his career. So his top end exit velo isn't anywhere near what we'd expect from an elite power hitter. Uh, And it's not even like near what he has done in his past. His average exit velo though this year is 92.5. And that's a, that's a career high so far. And when you look at his batted ball charts on Savant, the majority of his batted balls lie in the 95 to 105 mile per hour buckets. So like that's where he's been hitting the ball the hardest. Most often is like right in that area. And that's going to help account for his career-high 47.4% hard hit rate. And again, that's so far. It is a small sample. Um, now, there's a pretty huge gap between his batting average and expected batting average. And I think there's a couple things we can point to when addressing the career-high average. Uh, a small part of that has been that he's more passive than he's ever been in his career at the plate. His swing percentage is about 4% lower than his career average and now sits around a league average rate, which it hasn't at any point before. Um, I wouldn't really call it passivity at the plate either. His first pitch swing rate is exceptionally low. Like it's half of league average. It's like 15% compared to like league average, which is like just below 30%. Um, There's just a drastically different level of waiting for my pitch happening here. And I do think a different kind of patience that Grichik is showing. Uh, and it's a part of the reason why he's running career best walk and strikeout rates so far as well this year. Um, So two more things to add to the good column here. Another angle and the part that I think that is driving most of this exceptional batting average is that he's carrying like a really anomalous 35.5% line drive rate, according to Baseball Savant, uh, which places him at a level that's like 10 points higher than league average and 10 points higher, like more than 10 points higher than he's ever been at any other point in his career. So, like, his batting average really is just being driven by his distribution here of, like, how many line drives he's actually hitting. Um, Now, batting average obviously is awesome. We'd love to have that. And we love that he's getting on base more with the higher walk rate and everything. But what we want him to do is lift the ball more often so he can start hitting dingers, right? Well, 
he's already pulling the ball more than he has in many, many years. And good news, folks, if you look at the rolling chart for his launch angles on Baseball Savant, he's been sitting in the 20-degree launch angle range in his past few appearances as opposed to like the 10% range when he first came back and made his debut this season. In other words, he's starting to elevate the ball more often, which is really encouraging. I fully expect that we see him hitting the occasional dinger soon enough, and I'd rather get on this train early and add Grichik now before he starts doing this and reap any benefits than wait it out until he starts actually doing it. Um, so he's been hitting in the heart or top of the order as of late and even let off last night for the Rockies. So the opportunity should be ample for Grichik to accumulate meaningful plate appearances moving forward. I really think that rest of season, he could be a really nice addition to a lot of teams, especially in like five outfielder leagues who are looking for a high floor bat with potential upside to add some home runs and RBIs if his profile continues to trend in the current trajectory that it is. Uh, so that's why, I mean, I've been stashing him since draft season i think i think i just left him on my bench for the first month of the year because i figured once he comes back he's going to be getting regular playing time in an awesome stadium so highly recommend randall gritchick moving forward yeah he's got a few interesting things going on like obviously like when you see a when you see a an outlier high batting average you look for the babip and he does have a sky high babip Mm -hmm. and that's going to drop but he plays in cores and cores and high babips tend to go together for starters and then also uh he is chasing uh you know you talked about this he's chasing less than ever before mm-hmm. his contact rate is down a bit which i mean i don't you, you know you don't love that for long term like a uh, uh, batting average projections but like it's like you said like with with the discipline he's showing i i really like his strong production to continue we we're really we're the the trends are pointing in the right direction we are just waiting for the production to follow exactly um and yeah it, like he's not the most elite of the elite when it comes to top end exit velos like i said it's just that and this is something that i've repeated about a bunch of people that i've liked so far this year and it seems like it's always outfielders um, but the fact that they are so consistently getting to like their 80th, 90th percentile exit velocity, like that, t- like it, it doesn't have to be like the 115, 120 off the bat. If you have someone who's consistently hitting like 100, 105 mile an hour line drives, fly balls, <clears throat> excuse me, um, like there's going to be production that follows that, especially like I, I think this line drive rate is going to normalize something's going to happen but it seems oh, like he's elevating absolutely. the ball a lot more so if it's trending in that direction yeah home runs are going to follow i think um i'd say rest of the season i could i could genuinely see gritchett giving you like 15 home runs yeah i mean you you have to hope that the line drives go more towards fly balls than ground balls but like what he's doing right now is like the fewest ground balls that he's hit in years so yeah. he's he's already in a good place there yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to go into our league wide roundup right after another ad break. All right. We are back. So, Schwebzy, let's kick it off with the NL East, your favorite division. Obviously, let's start with the team that isn't your favorite, though. Let's start with Atlanta. Talk about Jared Schuster real quick. Uh, do you have I, feelings I, on Schuster? I, 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 I picked him up last week in TGFBI and streamed him against the Athletics. 
I got a win out of it. The whip was just okay. The ERA was good. Um, well, first of all, I, I want to dispute that the NL East is my favorite division. Oh, but it, okay. Okay. To be fair, it probably does provide you the most misery of any division. Yeah. I, I only like 20% of the NL East. As opposed to 0% and I of the hate, rest. I hate 80% of it. That's fair. Whereas there, there's a lot of other divisions where that, that balance is not nearly so skewed. My, fa- my favorite team resides in the NL East, but that does not mean it's my favorite division. And that team is the Washington Nationals. Love the Nats, baby. It's all, all about, about the Nats. Nats. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, but yes, uh, Schuster, I don't know. If you take nah, a look he's, at... He's, eh. If you take a look at his... Like, the Velo's not that good. If you take a look at the Baseball Savant page, like, there really is nothing that pops out as, like, an elite trait that he has in any capacity. The whip is not very good for Schuster. Um, I'm probably pretty heavily passing on this the only thing that is good about jared schuster is the team that he plays for so wins are a possibility essentially is what what that amounts to right like there's a good offense wins are a dumb like, stat i i hate wins let's let's make I mean, that clear it, at, at the top like we need them yeah, but like, it's a dumb stat that's the only reason i picked he, up jared schuster that is true like if he gets a quality start he has a good shot at a win that's that's really what you're hoping for with schuster i think I don't think he has. I just don't think there's enough going on with any of his pitches. Yeah, I mean, you could you could you could pitch five innings and give up four runs and still have a shot at a win playing for Atlanta because that offense yeah. is just that good when it's clicking. Um, but yes, uh, okay. I think we we've made it clear how we feel about Schuster. Let's move on to now yeah. your actual favorite team, the Mets. Love the Mets. All about the Mets, baby. Wow. Um, yeah. So we're we're. <laughs> We're we're in a place with the Mets right now where there's not there there aren't a lot of sub twenty percent guys that you want to go out of your way to roster. Uh, there is Carlos Carrasco, and Carlos Carrasco's velo is up across the board, and he has turned in a couple of really good starts in a row. But Carrasco kind of still is who he always was. He will have plenty of ups and downs. He will give up plenty of dingers. So as long as you're okay with that and you're okay with absorbing the occasional blow-up start, Carrasco, he, Carrasco used to be like a quality start king, but I, I just don't know if he's really that anymore. I, I think the blow-ups are just happening a bit too frequently. I, I, he's, his fastball is so underwhelming that it's, it's a tough watch for me when I, as a fan watching him. But if he can maintain this velo, like his velo is is not up from like a career perspective, but it is back to his career norms where it was uh, lagging at the beginning of the season. So maybe we can get, you know, the the Carrasco of the the last couple of years, which would be fine. But I I do think there's some severe ratio risk here. So you know, as if you want to look at him as a streamer sure but he's also the kind of pitcher that can get blown up by a a bad offense if he just doesn't have it with the fastball that day so yeah this this is a at your own risk kind of pickup uh and then i i did just notice that brett Beatty has dropped under 20 percent 
rostered? He's just been, I mean, I think it's just like, it's mostly like the batting average. I feel like a lot, for a lot of people, maybe a little bit of a, a pain. And then like the playing time is out. He's still not starting all the time versus lefties. Yeah. I, I mentioned in a previous episode that he is among the unluckiest players in baseball from a stats versus X stats perspective. And that is still the case. Although one pretty worrisome thing about Beatty is that the launch angle is creeping downwards, mm. like little by little. And that was always the concern with him is would he be able to regularly elevate the ball? So I, I, I think I'm downgrading my Beatty stance to a stash. I still think the offensive talent demands being rostered in, in you know, any, any sort of deep league. But yeah, I, I don't I don't think he should be starting right now, which pains me to say, but it, it that is the case. And then uh in the bullpen, Brooks Raley is I mentioned him last week. He is a fantastic holds guy and he's back. He looks good. Hopefully his early season weakness versus lefties is a thing of the past. It it has looked like that in his last few appearances. So I'm 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 hoping that that can keep going. That uh, all right, let's go to Washington then. Uh, start with Chamber Candelario. So, basically, the whole story with Candelario is that he's on a heater right now, he's been crushing fastballs, he's got a 343 batting average on them so far this year. He's getting thrown the fewest, I believe, in his entire career as of this year. Uh, but he is still hunting them, uh, still really can't hit a breaking ball, so I think he's pretty much just keying in on those fastballs. But lately, has been really, really great. The batting average has been excellent over the past couple of weeks. So I think if you're looking for something like that, there is a little, 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 a little bit of power upside, excuse me, um, when it comes to Candelario as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's consistent a good ballpark playing, for dingers. Yeah, consistent playing time too. Like we'll absolutely take that. Uh, Schwebzy, you want to talk about Luis Garcia? Yeah, he's actually, from a production standpoint, kind of similar to Candelario. Mm-hmm. What you're here for is the batting average and the volume. I do think, like Candelario, that there is a little bit of juice in this bat that we have yet to see. Garcia is one of only two batters to have at least 12 barrels and have fewer than five home runs. He's got four right now. And the only other batter that fits that criteria is Spencer Torkelson, who I assume is being victimized by Comerica Park. There's a little bit of a difference in the home, home ballpark there. I feel like he's been I another st- one that's not elevating the ball as much as he could either. Yeah, that is true. He's like a righty baby. Uh, I I still think there's some power upside with Garcia. That's not why you're rostering him, but if you look at him and you don't want to add him because he only has four home runs, I do think there's a a little bit of optimism to be had there. Is uh, is uh what I'm getting at? Not a ton of power upside, but more than we've seen. All right, and then you also put down someone I think we've both been fond of. At different points, Hunter Harvey, who the minute the first time he got an opportunity to get an actual factual save, I think he blew one or two in a row. Uh, well, what happened was he had to face the fastball destroyer of worlds, Jorge Soler, and he gave mm. up a massive, uh, a, a massive right. save blowing nuke. That's what it was. You're right. But That's kind of a bummer. But to to my delight. He has gotten a couple of save opportunities since then. 
including a two-inning save that he converted pretty smoothly a couple days ago. And I, I just, I will continue to die on this hill that he is a better pitcher than Kyle Finnegan, and he deserves the closer job. Uh, I, I, I firmly believe that he, before the end of the year, he will be the sole closer. Just please don't let him ever face Jorge Soler again. Love it. All right. Uh, let's move to the NL Central. I'm going to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers a very tiny, tiny little bit here. The, probably the least I'll ever talk about the Brewers because Schwebsy wrote one of the guys up. But Julio Tehran, please don't, don't chase him. Also, like I, I know I talked about these guys last week just in terms of the fact that they were going to be get like bulk innings. I just wanted to point out the fact that Julio Tehran threw six shutout innings the other day with zero strikeouts. None. Zero. It's just... <laughs> it's very funny. I'm glad that he got a win that day. But at the same time, my God, please do not chase this. 1990s looking line. Oh my gosh. Please don't do this. Um, same thing goes through like Adrian Hauser. I knew that he was going to have a blow up at some point. And he finally did. He finally got knocked around a little bit. Um, Colin Ray. I, Colin Ray's actually been surprisingly good, I will say. Um, but that said, still, if you're going to try to take a chance on any of these guys, which I would not recommend you do with either Tehran or Hauser, maybe Ray, um, do it against a really, really, really good matchup, and that's it. Please don't chase this. Um, Trubbs, you want to talk about an interesting reliever, which is something that the Brewers do a good job of turning around on occasion. Uh, that's Yoel Piamps. Yes. Uh, Piamps is another guy that you're only really interested in in holds leagues, but uh, you know deeper leagues tend to uh, skew more towards save holds so mm-hmm. he's worth talking about for us i think that's in general something we need to be better at is talking about holds guys but uh coming into the year Piomps pitching mostly for the royals had a career k per nine under seven this year it's sitting around 10 that's a huge increase uh the brewers just simply pulled decent relievers out of their butts with regularity and this is another one uh this is we we say it all the time this is another case of simply throw your best pitch more often and Piomps is throwing his really good slider nearly 40% of the time this year and reaping the benefits he's barely walking anybody which is another big change to his career profile and that only helps those ratios he's been really really solid so far this year i know that i've watched a decent amount of Yoel Piomps obviously as a Brewers fan so far this year and I said that to Schwebzy before I even looked at his player pages. Like, I guarantee you he's throwing his slider way more because he's thrown his slider so much this year, and it's been so good. And alas, so, his most thrown pitch is his slider. So MLB The Show, which is a a baseball video game, they have this uh, event a couple times a year called the Moonshot Event where you get to use really good hitters and you're forced to use really bad pitchers. So in theory, people are hitting a bunch of home runs. And one of the the really bad, quote, pitchers that qualified for this event was Yoel Piomps. And I used him a lot in, in that event this year. So, a f- you know, a few weeks later, when I found out that Piomps was actually good, in fact, I, I just got to have a good laugh at the, the Brewers' typical devil magic. They're not the only people in the Central. The, the Cardinals aren't the only people in the Central with devil magic. 
We'll just put it that they, way. They have, it's like they have their own unique brands of devil magic. It's like the Brewers mostly exists in their uh, their pitching. The Cardinals devil magic is a lot of like middle infielders that wind up blowing up unexpectedly. Yep. Gosh. Uh, surprisingly, actually, we don't have a lot of people to talk about in the NL Central. We just have, uh, I just wanted to cover Jack Sawinski for like, I think probably the fifth time we've talked about him this year. <laughs> um, remember, remember folks, if you sign up for my, my paid Patreon, I will tell you when I'm benching Jack Sawinski. So, you know, when he's about to hit a home run, this is literally what happened. Cause I d- dropped him in TGFBI a couple weeks ago, which means that he was inevitably due for another absolute heater, which he's on right now. Um, I don't like the headache that he gives me when he like when he's hitting well and then he inevitably drops off and I leave him in my lineup for way too long and he just destroys my batting average, which he's going to do anyways. Um, But that said, there's no denying that he is going to put up his fair share of dingers with elite exit velos and barrel rates like he is way, way like above 95th percentile on both of those. Um the on-base skills are still solid, too. He walks a ton, even though he strikes out 33% of the time. Uh, and because of those walks, the speed is good enough for him to nab a few stolen bases for you, too. So the counting stats are there. Just know that you need to offset his pain that he's going to provide you in the batting average department, and then you'll be okay. And this is important. Sawinski has played in two of the last three games where the Pirates saw a lefty starter. Oh. Okay then. I didn't I missed that when I was writing him up. That's awesome. Yeah, he ha- he hasn't been a straight platoon this year. Like he hasn't sat every game against lefties, but when he does sit it tends to be against the lefty. But yeah, late, lately he's pretty much uh, been in there. Love it. All right, let's go to the NL West start with the Diamondbacks and Tommy Henry. Uh I think you and I have similar feelings on this one. Well, I, I think we can we can kind of group these Arizona young pitchers together because I feel same I feel the same way about Tommy Henry as I do Ryan Nelson. Uh the mm. results for Tommy Henry have been better lately, but I, I think the the skills are kind of similar for these two, and I don't really trust either of them. Like Ryan Nelson couldn't even handle the Rockies on the road, which that means that they are now dead to me until well uh, Ryan Nelson is now dead to me until he shows me something else and anything else uh Tommy Henry uh, just it's it's an underwhelming package uh it's he he kind of had a bit of a Vargas rule run lately but when you're running a K minus walk percentage of 5.4 I just I just do not think you're a, a serious major league pitcher so i'm looking at a savant page right now i'm just trying to get a general sense of like i i I don't like a lot of what i see he does have a 93rd percentile chase rate which is interesting that's it's interesting i mean it's his k rate is in the ninth percentile so right yeah (laughs) it's 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 an oddity more than it is like a a check in his favor yeah like if i look yeah his walk rate is almost 10% league average is 8.4. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not interested in Tommy Henry, nor am I interested in Ryan Nelson. Um, 
what about Dre you? Jameson? Yeah, is is the one that I'm most interested in of the group. Now he is not someone that I am rushing out to add right now, but he's on my watch list. I I want to see how the D backs plan on deploying him. I I think right now I like him more as a multi inning reliever. He's got the more the most interesting stuff of the trio, but he's also had the really bad combo this year of both walking too many people while getting hit pretty hard. Uh, it, it's his hard contact against is, is really high. I I think I like him more as a multi-inning reliever right now where he can just air it out and those walks won't come back to bite him as frequently. Uh, he, but I really, that's the number one thing he needs to get under control right now is the walks, but I I'm keeping an eye on him. I'm, I'm keeping a, a sort of interested eye on him. Dig it. All right. And then you want to cover, uh, Someone that you kind of yucked a while ago. I'm after I, I, I still don't think I, I don't think that you necessarily feel good about this person, but he's back, and that's Jake McCarthy. I I was yucking your yum. That's true. Um, because you were you were in on McCarthy prior to the year, and I thought he was not a good player. Um, to, to put it kindly, you thought he was dog water. Yep. Yep. Correct. Okay. It's not thought. I think. Um, <laughs> I think he is dog water. Thank you, thank you for clarifying. Uh, I I still don't think he's a good hitter, but if he's going to run like this, I don't think it matters from a fantasy perspective because he can just be like Estieri Ruiz light for you if he's going to steal this many bases. Uh, I I think Ruiz is. And Ruiz isn't even a particularly good hitter himself, but I think Ruiz is a better hitter than McCarthy is. But, I mean, you know, McCarthy's going to run wild, so he demands roster ship. You know, that's it's really that simple when it comes to stolen bases. Stolen bases are more common this year, but they're not so common that you can just ignore someone stealing a base like every 10 plate appearances. It. All right. Um, let's go to Colorado next. Talk about Ezekiel Tovar. I put Tovar's name down because he's been okay as of late. I this is mostly a yuck for me as his best tools are his defensive tools, but the volume of ABs will be there as long as he's healthy. That's pretty much the extent of the nice things that I have to say about Tovar. Like his exit fields have just been like okay. Um nothing's been terribly exciting. But his profile again gets to play half his games in cores, which helps. But eh. so I will say, uh, Tovar got to play the Mets recently. They had a uh, the Mets had a series in cores, so I got to watch him. And Tovar got to face in back to back games Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, and Max Scherzer got him to chase on everything he basically didn't throw him a strike and tovar just kept chasing and chasing and chasing and that's bad yes but the very next game you could tell like either someone had a conversation with him or he had a talk he he had a talking to with himself where he was like clearly i need to not be doing that and he was very very patient the next day so you can see that he knows that that chase happy approach is not it so i mean maybe there's some optimism to be had there it's it's he's 21 you know 
he's a young player. He's still growing. So, I mean, hopefully he can continue to do that. I swear every week I look at Tovar and want to talk about him, and then I actually look at his numbers and I'm like, "Eh, nope. Yeah. I figure he's worth bringing up at least, obviously, but yes, I am not particularly interested in grabbing him, especially in any redraft leagues. Um, But again, the volume in terms of at-bats is going to be there, so if you do need a filler, that is someone that you can go to, especially if he has like a week of games in Coors. Um, All right, let's go to the Padres and Rugnet Odor, Schwebzy. So... Odor is a platoon bat right now, with all the caveats that come with that designation. You know, better for daily leagues. Uh, you got to pay attention. But he has been on absolute fire lately, and his last two weeks have been legitimately impressive from like a career retrospective perspective. Uh, he's striking out less than ever before. He's walking a good amount. He's chasing less. He's in a really strong lineup for with, with the Padres now that Tatis is back. And I, honestly, I think he's just one of the more productive part-time players in baseball right now. Like, you know, they're, they're, that's like a kind of a whole little class of players that deep league pl- uh, managers tend to care about more than other managers. And like, I, I think at the moment, Odor is like at the top of the pile for lefty mashers. Well, oh yeah, you know, for sure. Right-hand pitcher mashers. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, Odor has at times in the past gone on pretty hot streaks and been really, really yeah, like, attractive. Um, Odor with good plate discipline is something we, I don't know if we've ever seen before, and he is he has trended in that direction. Yes, now, I also don't think we've seen him, like you said, in a lineup like this before either. Yeah, I, I mean, he's had his hot streaks. I... It's one of those uh, can you teach an old dog new tricks things like do you believe mm-hmm. in the good in the play discipline to stick? Uh, I know personally I just added him to replace Garrett Cooper in a league because uh, I, I had to finally quit Garrett Cooper because he's been so uh, hitting so poorly this he's year. Been so cheeks. Yeah. So I mean I I I believe in him enough to roster him in an NL only league. Hey, fair enough. Love it. Uh, all right, let's go finish up the NL West and talk. Have, uh, God, sorry. Have you talk about Patrick Bailey? Yeah, uh, I I didn't expect much from Patrick Bailey. I wasn't too familiar with him as a prospect. I was I was kind of just a- along with a lot of other people, hoping that Joey Bart would take the uh, catcher job in San Francisco and run with it. But Bailey is here. He is squaring up the ball with regularity. And his X start, his X stats are all off the charts right now. In his first exposure to the majors, they're going to come down. Of course, you know whenever they're whenever numbers are this high, they always do. Like I don't expect uh, him to hit three thirty this year. And I would love to see Patrick Bailey take a walk because I, I I do not like players who don't ever walk. But I mean, Bailey is displaying some really exciting offensive upside out of the catcher spot. Speaking of, we we'd mentioned Devil Magic before. We know that the the Giants are also a purveyor of Devil Magic. Hello, new brewer Darren Ruff. Please go back to your San Francisco Giants form. <laughs> Please, it's not my problem anymore. 
sigh. Anyways, okay, let's move to the AL. Talk about the AL East. Start with Boston. Schwebs, you have a slew of pitchers from Boston that you wanted to touch on because that uh, rotation now with Chris Sale, maybe, potentially, possibly being out? Getting an MRI is where we are at right now, last I heard. Uh, yeah, shoulder issue is what it was. Shoulder uh, inflammation of some variety. Yeah, lots of speculation going on right now about the state of Chris Sale's body. But that leaves us with a... What do you You're smiling. Go- what do you think's going on in there? Mostly pipe cleaners, I think. <laughs> um, or either that or the, the that statue that uh steve cohen bought for like 180 million dollars you know you know the one i don't know actually oh wait yes i do i understand yeah, i think yes. i think i think that's i think that's what chris sales body looks like chris, uh, without the skin chris chris sales ligaments are made out of those sticky hands that you get out of like a vending machine at a grocery store that you pay like 50 cents for and you can like sling them out and then like stick them to stuff you know what i mean remember those <laughs> sticky hands it's all just a bunch of those in his shoulder just toothpicks and paper mache but anyway, th- we've got a rotation opening, maybe. But and I, I, that means that either one of Cutter Crawford or Nick Pavetta will get that role. And I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that it's Cutter Crawford. Uh, I would be adding him now just in case because I think there is some strong potential here. If any bad news comes out about Chris Sale... I, I think Cutter Crawford would immediately be my my priority add for pitchers in the sub twenty percent world. Uh, he so his role has been kind of all over the place. He's done a lot of long relief stints. He had a couple of starts earlier in in the year, but even with that turmoil, his K minus walk rate would put him next to names like Shane McClanahan, uh, Eovaldi, Sonny Gray some of the strongest performers this year. I'm really hoping that Cutter gets this job over Pavetta. Like in his first game of the year, Cutter Crawford had to go against the April Pittsburgh Pirates, who were the best team of all time for a little while there. And uh, he gave up seven, he he gave up seven runs against the April Pirates. Uh, But since then he has had a 1.69 ERA. He's he's just been nails since then. I swear to God, I think I started him in that start against the Pirates. Probably. I bet you did. Uh, yeah. But then uh, there's the guys that actually do have jobs. There's Brian Bayo, Garrett Whitlock, Tanner Houck. And I would have them in that order. You know, if you if you had to prioritize which ones to add, if more than one is available. Yeah. But I I do like all of these guys to varying extents i you know you can refer to the last episode where i did a deep dive on brian bayo i'm a big big fan of bayo and he has crossed the 20 percent threshold but just barely so i wanted to mention him one more time just uh just in case he's still available in your leagues and then whitlock was one of my favorite deep league targets earlier in the off season and he is back off of the il and he is back to doing garrett whitlock things holding the surprisingly strong Arizona Diamondbacks to one run the other day. And then there's Tanner Houck, who is more of an upside play. We're really hoping that his splitter can continue to do good things so that he can be more than just a uh, slider uh, slider sinker guy. 
And also, around here, we just cannot quit Tanner Houck. Wish I could quit you. Uh, yes, Tanner Houck. Um, I think, again, I, I'm pretty much right there with you that I want Cutter Crawford to get the oppor- the lion's share of the opportunity if there is an opening, if uh, Sale is going to be out for an extended period. Again, he, I think out of all the names here, in my opinion, is probably even, oh man. I, okay, maybe he's not as high upside as Bayo, but I do think out of the rest of them, he's probably the highest upside arm in terms of the value he can provide this year in fantasy. Even if it is just like a short term, like if Sale ends up on the 15 day and then is maybe out for a few weeks after that. Like it's not a 60, 60 day IL thing, but if 15 and change sort of deal. Um, I think if uh, Crawford gets like four or five starts, he would be immensely valuable. So um, I can, I can definitely understand that viewpoint, but like in my head, just the, the way my brain works with, with baseball is that upside and strikeout upside are basically interchangeable for pitchers to me. Mm. So that's why Bayo is always going to be my choice there. And even among all these guys, Hey, fair enough. I will say, though, as as a case study, most of my TGFBI roster was drafted around the thought that, hey, these dudes are going to get a buttload of strikeouts. Because mm-hmm. it was all based off my weighted earned strike rate stuff, pretty much. Um, obviously, Jeffrey Springs got hurt. Um, and my strikeout rate is very, very... I think I have some of the most strikeouts in all of TGFBI. I'm probably still in the top 10, I would venture a guess and say. My ERA and my whip are both very bad. So I'm thinking more like Whitlock is like an all or sorry, uh, Crawford is an all around type guy. Like the strikeouts are going to be there in a decent number, but I'm thinking more so ratios. You know, that Bayo sometimes has trouble with walks. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah. All right, let's go to the New York Yankees. Uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa has been doing pretty well as of late. This is... don't believe his lies. You can't make me. I, do, I don't want to do it. The, the reason that everyone was so interested in IKF previously, like in past years, is because he had that catcher eligibility. Like, that was the draw. He was a catcher that could maybe steal you a few bases and his average wouldn't hurt you. The good outfield defense and the contact skills are going to give him plate appearances. But the rest of his profile is really just, like, entirely unexciting to me. I'm passing on this. Um, so, yeah, I would fade IKF, even though he's been decent as of late. Uh, Schwabzy, what about Clark Schmidt? Clark Schmidt has 49 strikeouts in his last 41 innings to go with a 3.7 ERA. Now that th- that's pretty good. <laughs> that's actually that's actually not bad. Yeah, but the reason he has a 3.7 ERA is because he had two blow up starts against Texas and Tampa Bay. Who, if you're paying attention, you shouldn't have started Clark Schmidt against them anyway. So if you did, it's kind of your own fault. If you played your matchups right, Clark Schmidt has been a fantastic asset to fantasy teams for a solid five or six weeks now. I like Don't let those blow-ups against literally the two best offenses in baseball hide the fact that he has just been showing out lately. Yeah, he's been awesome. Uh, speaking of someone that's been showing out too, that maybe you start in some places and don't in others just because you're not really sure about his playing time. Uh, Jose Siri for the Rays. Dude, I 
like I don't even know what to do with him on a per like, appearance he, basis, man. He's nuts. He, he's a stud. But as we've said before, the issue with Siri is how often he plays. But I, I almost yeah, but I almost think we're getting to the point that it might be worth starting him even in weekly leagues. He's not this good. If he was actually this good, he would be like he'd basically be Ronald Acuna. Yes. And I, I do not think that Jose Siri is Ronald Acuna, even if the tools are, are as loud or nearly as loud. Uh, but I mean, Siri is basically he's <laughs> he, he's demanding more playing time and the Rays are saying no, but you don't have to say no. We, we don't have to say no. We can start him in our lineups, even if the Rays won't. I'm just looking at his stats and I'm just like blown away. Anyways. They're so dumb. Uh, anyways, uh, okay, let's go to the AL Central. Start with probably one of my favorite pickups off of waiver wires this year and someone that I kind of liked after last year a little bit just because he hit the ball yeah. so dang hard. Like it was after he had, I think his what he and his wife had a kid last year and he just got that dad strength is mostly where this is drawn from. But uh, he's, he's in that, he's in that like Sawinski territory. Like we were, we were talking before yeah. about who, who our list was for guys with 80 grade power and we put Sawinski in like 70 grade power yeah and i i think burger is right there too i think i think burger might be like a 75 because he's hit one there's a dog having a very bad time in my building right now so i'm sorry if you can hear that um but uh, where is it i want to see his max exit velo for this year i I think it's isn't it like 117 no it is 118.2 man yeah like i think that might be the third hardest hit ball in the league this year I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure that one went for a well, home run as well. But so he is tied for 23rd in baseball in home runs, and everyone ahead of him has at least 40 more plate appearances. Yeah, I'm very nervous to find out if Andrew Vaughn's existence keeps him from being in the lineup every single day. Because I know that both of them are getting DH reps, and if they're going to try to find places for Berger to get on, like in the lineup, even if he's not DHing, I really hope they do. I don't know why they're not making sure that he's in the lineup every single day, but I don't know. Just like he's got elite top end exit velos, and the barrel rates are going to make him super valuable. I I don't know what's going to happen exactly. I think that he's still going to get like meaningful plate appearances every single week, but he's not going to get necessarily as many as i want him to <laughs> is what it comes right down to so yeah still great though still worth starting in weekly leagues even but uh all right let's go to the detroit tigers and akil badu schwebzy i i don't really know what to make of badu it it feels like if he ever put it all together like he'd be a really good player a really good real life and fantasy, mm-hmm. but he just never has all of his tools working at any given time. It, it's like, it's like he's got like all five tools, but he can only ever choose two at a time to be good at. And I don't understand how that works. Like right now he's an asset in OBP leagues, but he also isn't playing against lefties, which almost doesn't matter because the tigers never see lefties. Really, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they've gone against the fewest lefties in baseball this year. Mm-hmm. So the playing time isn't too much of a concern unless they see more lefties going forward. But Badu is a strong OBP upside play. 
like he'll get you he'll get he has a really great walk rate so he'll get you that strong obp regardless and then he has the tools to be a power speed threat but hasn't really done that consistent consistently mm-hmm. so you know if you need if you're in, you're in an obp league and you need an outfielder and you want to gamble on upside i think badu is the direction you probably want to go in love it all right let's go to the royals uh i want to talk about michael massey so he's I get he's playing pretty much every single day, but he's like a lefty, so he's a strong side bat in terms of like platooning potential. Um, he still gets starts versus lefties fairly often. Um, he does have a very heavy pulled ball profile to maximize opportunities for power, uh, considering he has pretty meager top end exit velos. But he plays in Kaufman most of the time, so it's not the best park for it. Um, mostly Massey to me like he's not super fast either he kind of feels like an aggregator in line with someone like Jake Cronenworth he's just like fine and that's sometimes useful and like second base is a fairly shallow position a lot of the time anyways so kind of happy to have someone like that to slot in at second base anyways if you're in a deeper league so Massey's a fine option I think I'm not like crazy excited about him by any means but he's been good as of late and can fill in if necessary so uh yeah and in in like deeper leagues with middle infield spots, he's almost most roster at this point. He's, oh, yeah. He has been really good lately. Yeah, in a, in a league like that, absolutely. Um, and then there's Michael Garcia, who has been playing really, really good defense at third base uh, for the Royals, at least by outs above average, uh, and provides a really solid batting average floor with some steals. He's playing every day, literally, every single day. Literally every single day. And the defense is the thing that's going to keep him in there, too. Um it's not crazy exciting. There's like no power to be seen. Uh, the counting stats aside from that are okay. And again, like stolen bases, if you need them, this is a really good option. So again, he's fine. Um, third base, much less of a shallow position, I would say. Here's here's a fun would you rather, Shrubsy. I guess it probably fully like dependent on what you need for your team. Would you rather have Jake Berger or Michael Garcia? Jake Berger. That's where I'm at too. I think I think the playing time isn't quite as uh, consistent, but I think I'd rather have the dingers personally. And I I don't think you're giving Garcia enough credit for his power. He has power. It's just he's not getting into that like barrel sweet spot zone yet. Like he hits the heck out of the ball. He's just not really hitting them at ideal launch angles right now. He's also hitting a lot to the center of the field. You, You know who he is? No. He's Cabrian Hayes. <laughs> Another third baseman. That's a good comp. Uh, yeah, no, he's hitting a lot of balls to the middle of the field, too, which, like, if you're playing in Kaufman and you're not trying to pull it down the lines at all, like, that's not going to help you in any capacity. He's hitting a ton of yeah. balls to the middle of the field. Like, it's like 47% or something like that. For his, uh... Really? No, he he is exactly Cabrian Hayes. That's incredible. They have this, like, they're like the exact same player. Oh my god, twinsies. Really? Have you ever seen Cabrian Hayes and Michael Garcia in the same place at the same time? No. Just saying. Can't say I have. I'm just saying. I don't know. Uh, all right, last player for the Royals. Let's talk about Carlos Hernandez, Schwabs. Uh Big boy throw ball hard uh, and, and strike out lots of batters. They do. I am contractually obligated to talk about Carlos Hernandez in every episode until he's either rostered in 20% or more of leagues or until he sucks again. Mm-hmm. So that is me fulfilling my contractual obligation. The contract was written by me, signed by me, and is is only with me. But uh, it, you know, it, it's binding. So I, I, there it is. 
Beautiful. All right, let's go to. Oh, the, also, oh. he's a he's a sparp. That's true. That's actually very love important. a sparp. I know I talked about wanting to point this out more often, but that is a very valuable thing to have in a lot of leagues. So good point. Um, all right, let's go to Minnesota. Willie Castro, uh, with Carlos Correa reaggravating his plantar fasciitis, which it took me about five minutes to figure out how to spell fasciitis. <laughs> um. Castro should have free reign when it comes to playing time, and he was already really hot and getting a ton as it was. He's got dual short, shortstop and third base eligibility, so corner infield, middle infield. If you have those positions in your league, that helps even more. You should go grab him. I mean, he's been super hot over the past like 50 plate appearances. His max exit velo is in the 94th percentile. Like, he hits the ball way harder. Like, I don't know why I didn't think that Willie Castro hit the ball hard, but he does. Um,. He's also real fast, can give you some stolen bases. He's got 10 so far this year, which I didn't know that either. I mean, he's been incredible. 280 average. Uh, I also accidentally left him on my bench in TGFBI after picking him up last week. And then he proceeded nice. to have an excellent start to this week, so I look really dumb. Uh, but yeah, he's going to get plenty of run. Uh, so Willie Castro's, honestly, he was close to being my deep dive this week. It was between him and Grichik, and I think Castro's, if he keeps this up, and he's still somehow rostered at less than 20%, I'm going to be talking about him next week, most likely. Because he's just been so yeah. good. Um, Last year I said I wouldn't be fooled by him again. And and now, I, look, I, look at where we are. Watch him just be awesome. Yeah, it's been great. Um, Alright, let's do... Where am I? Oh, Schwebzy, Louis Varland. Still somehow under 20%. I don't understand. Go back a couple episodes. I did a deep dive on Varland. Do he does a lot of really interesting things. Do none of you I think people, li- none of you people listen to us? What's going on here? Come on. I can't believe twenty one percent of Yahoo and ESPN players don't listen to our podcast. So messed up. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like looking at his profile again with with a couple more starts under his belt since I did the deep dive. I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing. He looks kind of like J.P. Sears. That can be taken so many ways. I actually kind of like J.P. Sears. I know you so do. It, I mean, you have him in the notes for further down. Spoiler alert. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, all right, let's talk about, real quick, Alex Kirilov is our last player for the AL Central. So, the average is great. I would really love to see more power out of him, though. Um, He's only got six extra base hits in 50s, or really had six extra base hits in 87 plate appearances in May. Uh, not the best. Uh, would love to see more pop out of him. Other than that, I mean, the, the floor is good. He's going to be playing mostly every day. Um, so Kirilov, someone who's kind of like a post-hype guy after all the injuries, especially with that wrist, um, could be someone nice to grab. 2023 loves a post-hype prospect. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Uh, all right, going to the AL West, talking about Houston. Brandon Belak, um, his whip is just absolutely sky high, and his hard hit rate is also well, well, well above league average. His ERA has no right being as low as it is. I think this is someone who's due for hella regression, um, and it's gonna that that regression monster is gonna show up and ruin that ERA real fast. So I'm I'm fading Belak, even though the results as of late have been okay. Um, and then there's Jake Myers. He's been good with what plate appearances he has gotten, but he's basically splitting time with Chas McCormick, and that makes me feel kind of iffy about rostering him, not knowing how much playing time he's really going to get from week to week. Like it might be like 
15 plate appearances. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, if the Astros really wanted to cheat, they would just combine Chaz McCormick and Jake Myers into the same super center fielder. Because they're like the same player and they're like, it's so weird how similar they are. And yet they're both on the same team fighting for playing time. What? uh, Jake McCormick. There we go. Jazz McCormick. That's better. First try. Nailed it. All right. (laughs) uh let's go to the angels uh Gio Urshela so since Anthony Rendon hit the IL on the 14th of May um he's been solid good average uh not ton else to speak of outside of that um but Rendon is back on his feet uh from that groin injury and has been taking batting practice over the past few days um I'm not sure what his playing time looks like moving beyond that especially now with Jared Walsh back and playing first base fairly regularly uh, that's where Urshela was playing in his absence. So I'm not sure what's going to happen there. He has been good, but keep an eye on it, I guess. Um, and then one that we have to shout out, Adile AOC from the Pitchless Plus Discord server for in pointing out to us, uh, and that's Matt Thice. Yeah, I, it's a strong lineup. Th- Thice is hitting better than he ever has before. And the Angels catching situation is just absolutely in shambles. Uh, Thice should be rostered in two catcher leagues at this point with the one blemish being playing time because Chad Wallach is also just absolutely tearing the cover off the ball uh, and also Jared Walsh is healthy so for a little while there Thice was getting those uh, uh, first base starts here and there and he is not getting them anymore so I, I can't I don't want to recommend Thice too strongly like, for example, if it was between Thice and Patrick Bailey, I would go Bailey. But, yeah, I mean, if if you're in need of a second catcher and he's out there, there, there are definitely worse options. Really quick, uh, just breaking news that I, to, that I have to talk about on the pod real quick. Uh, in terrible, terrible, big boy, hit ball, hard, make ball go far news, Luke Boyd has been released from the Brewers. Uh, R.I.P. Moment, moment of silence. No. Um, all right, and then you want to talk about Mickey Moniak? <laughs> uh, just do a Sorry. bicep curl in Luke Voigt's honor. Uh, so, Sorry, just Mickey flexed. Moniak. <laughs> I still don't think the Moniak production is going to stick because the plate discipline stinks. And I, I was looking at his uh, stats earlier, and he's just got some really weird things going on. He's got a 62% fly ball rate, which is the highest I've ever seen. And like a 15% ground ball rate, which makes sense given the fly ball rate, which is, you know, in turn the lowest I've ever seen. Also, in spite of 62% of the balls he hits going in the air, Moniac has zero pop-ups, which is weird. I'm not even like, I'm not even mad at that. That's just amazing. Uh, but the point of this is that I've never seen a batted ball distribution like this, which makes me think it's going to change dramatically over the next few weeks and months. Um, and I'm not really sure what his production will look like when it does change, but I don't really expect it to be as good as it is now. It's so weird. I, I don't, I, I, I don't understand. I, 
that is probably like you said the oddest uh batted ball distribution he's also striking out 34 percent of the time i think he's he's striking out 30 plus percent of the time he's hitting fly balls 62 percent of the time and he's hitting like 325 that does not happen that makes no sense I was about to riff and start singing a song, and then I forgot what song it was. <laughs> I thought I was the tired one, buddy. Yes, I'm very tired now. Because uh, I have to spend so much time with you talking about baseball players. No. Uh, oh, we're almost done, though. We can both go take naps after this. It's fine. Uh, Shrozy, let's go to the Oakland A's, second to last team. Talk about J.P. Sears. All right. Uh, Sears doesn't walk anybody. He strikes out nearly a batter per inning. His bugaboo is that he just really, really, really has a home run problem, and he needs to get that under control. Oh, look Will- who likes Andrew Heaney now. <laughs> no, they're very different. Oh, they're so different. Yeah, they're so different. They're, dude, they're not even close to the same pitcher. All right. Uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, the tough part about I can fix him with uh with jp sears that 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 game that analysts love playing it's like i can i can figure out what's wrong with him the the tough part about that with uh sears is that he's given up six home runs on his four seamer and he's given up six home runs on his sweeper so it's not like one particular pitch that's killing him uh his his biggest problem is that he leaves his sweeper in the middle of the zone more than pretty much any other pitcher in baseball which is not a recipe for success. It's a recipe for allowing dingers. So yeah, like this isn't happening by mistake. He's not getting unlucky. There, there is a reason that he's giving up all these home runs. And if he can figure out how to locate his sweeper better, it will change his fortunes dramatically. He's ninth in all of baseball in PLB. So he's generally executing his pitch as well. I'm, I'm actually shocked at, the combination of those two things like he's doing really well in plv yet he's throwing his sweeper down the middle constantly yeah i yeah i i I gotta look into that but uh yeah sears is one of the more intriguing widely available arms out there i have him in a couple of particularly deep leagues uh I, i don't think you need to run out to grab him but if you're looking at a bunch of uninspiring options, like he's he's the guy I wind up grabbing uh, amongst a bunch of uninspiring arms. All right, let's go to our last team, the Texas Rangers, and talk about someone that I did not know existed until <laughs> you put his name down here, and that's Grant Anderson. Um, you said that, uh, if I'm remembering this correctly, he, in his debut, struck out seven batters over 2.2 innings in relief. Yes. Incredible. He was also he, carrying a 16K per nine rate in AAA before he got called up. So, like, the strikeout stuff seems to legit be there. Um, what, what do you think, Schwabs? I think he has a negative 1.96 FIP. Is that good? It's good. It's very good. I okay. think I, that means he broke, he broke analytics, I believe. Congratulations, Grant Anderson. You've won analytics. In 2.2 innings, you, you've broken all of, of analytics. I love it. Uh, I mean, the strikeout stuff, obviously very, very good. Is there, who's, who is the closer right now in Texas? Uh, it's, a, it's a shrug emoji. 
So, in a situation no, like it's, that, uh, Will, Will Smith's, uh, I, I think, is the current guy. The corpse of Will Smith is closing right now for for Texas. I mean, has has Will Smith actually been good as of late? That's what I'm curious about. Will Smith has struck out 31 percent of the batters he's faced this year, so he has had a little bit of a rejuvenation. Okay, I stand corrected. I'm sorry for the comment I made about him being a corpse. <laughs> um, massive apologies. Um, <laughs> it turns out the Texas Rangers bullpen is a blind spot for me, folks. Um, that said. If it really is a shrug emoji in any capacity, though, and there's any doubt there, anytime there's someone that gets called up that is a high strikeout arm like Grant Anderson, I mean, it's something to at least keep in the back of your mind moving forward. If Smith starts struggling, who's going to get opportunities? It may not be him, him being Grant Anderson, but uh, that is very eye-popping in terms of his strikeout numbers, especially even just at AAA having 16 per 9. Yeah. What what's funny, uh if you're if you're looking at the fangraphs uh closer depth chart, they list all of the bullpen arms and like their walk rates, their strikeout rates, saves, holds, all that stuff. And you're just going down the list of Texas closers and it's like thirty one percent strikeout rate, eighteen, twenty-three, twenty-two, and then seventy-eight. Seventy-seven point <laughs> eight for Grant Anderson. And he yeah. got, oh hey, he got a win in that uh in that he, outing too he did look at him so he uh he he's worth like seeking out clips of like on twitter and whatnot uh, I'm, I'm sure pitching ninja posted something about him because he's got kind of a a, a wacky crossfire delivery it's kind of unique so it's it's worth looking for grant anderson and seeing what he brings to the table yeah i remember looking and seeing that he had like elite extension if i remember right which makes sense considering his delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes. All right. Uh, that'll be it for this week's episode of in the deep. Thank you all so much for joining us once again. If you like the pod, be sure to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice, Spotify, Apple podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen, and then be sure to join us next week for another episode. Schwebzy, send them out. Bye friends. Bye.